Aotearoa and welcome to a new season of Generally Famous. I'm Simon Bridges and every week I talk to a generally famous but always interesting guest about life, love and what makes them tick. Today's guest, Liam Lawson, is a motor racing driver who at just 20 is already one of our greatest. Having won pretty much everything you can in New Zealand and Australia, he's been racing more internationally for about four years, graduating through the levels to be on the cusp of the ultimate in racing, a spot in Formula One. Liam, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, look, let's, let's, there's, there's so much to talk about. Let's not muck around. When you're racing internationally, how fast are you going? Like speed, like actual speed yeah. wise, uh, it depends on what car we're driving. So um, in Formula 2 this year, the fastest I've driven was in Formula 1 um, when we did the testing. But in Formula 2, we're not like terminal top speed. We're not actually too far off Formula 1. It's about three, 330 <laughs> we hit in uh, Baku in Azerbaijan, which is basically a street circuit with a massively long straight. Um, and I would say, yeah. But so that's top speed on the straight? That's top speed, but our cars are not, that's not the Im sort of impressive part about um, the formula cars, about with, with, with the downforce that they have. Um, it's the cornering speeds, especially in the high speed corners. Uh, that's where it's, they sort of are a lot faster than normal um, race cars or like a, a GT or a supercar. Or so like if that. you're 320 something, let's say, um, on the straight, what are you doing around the corner? Um, it depends. So in a section like... So Suzuka, for example, I just tested in Japan um, in a super formula car there. And the first sector is uh, a section of really high speeds, um, like S's. And we basically corner through those at about 250 to two, between 200 and 250 kilometers an hour. And that's going hard left back to right. Compared to in a normal car, you'd probably be doing 100 maybe or less through, through those corners. What is that like? It's really hard on your neck. So... Um, the, the G-force is really, really high, so you basically, we do a lot of neck training, so I always look like an idiot. I'm the guy in the gym who's like got a band around my head against a pole trying to um, trying to hold my head up. Um, but it's, yeah, important, because if you can't hold your head up, you sort of can't really see where you're going. So Right. Yeah. So it's, because uh, you know, I've seen on, you know, Drive to Survive and so on, yeah, the, the, the neck stuff, I thought maybe that was like a, um, I suppose a safety thing or something, but it's actually also just for you yeah. and your sort of um, more than comfort, but comfort when you're driving. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really important. It's probably that one, one of the most important parts of, of it. Yeah. So don't be. You, you can be rude to me. It's no problem. If I was in one of these, other than the fact I'd crash and die, um, if I was in one of these and I was going that fast and I had the G's on me at that level and I hadn't and I haven't obviously done any of that training, let alone any other kind of training. What do you reckon, what would happen to me? Yeah, you like uh, it's the same as if I hadn't driven. Like we we obviously gradually step up in the cars, and if I'd gone from a, a lower speed car that I drove a couple of years ago into something like I drive now, I wouldn't be able to do it either. So yeah, you you wouldn't be able to hold your head up. Um, we have headrests which are kind of sort of close, so you can rest your head, but it's it's quite far off, and you'd basically you wouldn't really see where you're going. So. I wouldn't have the muscle strength in my neck to hold no. my head up. My head would be down. That's the other thing is braking is one of the biggest, uh, most important parts because in in a corner, I guess you can rest your head a little bit, but when you're when you're braking, if you can't hold your head up basically straight, which the first time I drove uh, a Formula Two car, the first time I braked for the first corner, my head dropped literally into my into my lap. I couldn't couldn't see the corner. So if that sort of fatigues and you can't hold your head up, then um, you can't. You literally can't see where where you're going. 
And it's like so much an elite sport of kind of many kinds. You know, as you say, you're graduating and you're slowly building up to this. But how long have you, for example, been going at those sort of speeds and having to sort of have that strength? Wow. Formula, the first sort of high downforce fast car that I drove would have been a, like a Formula 3 car. And that was in 2019. So I was probably 16 years old, 17 years old, 17. So... But before that, it's more entry-level stuff like Formula 4 is a very basic sort of car, um, which was my first, it was 2018, was first year I went to Europe. But yeah, everything onwards from Formula 3 is quite, quite, yeah, quite, quite high speeds. Again, and I ask this, I hope it doesn't sound like a dumbass, but you know, we're sitting here, I'm sitting there, I'm never going to get in one of these, it's never going to happen. And that's true for most Kiwis, right? Um, all, nearly all, virtually all Kiwis. Just give us a sense of you're in there, you're racing this... Um, high-tech rocket ship, you know, on the ground, um, as you say, not just on the straights, but round these corners, all the skill that you've got. What's the physical feeling? Um, you, you, you definitely adjust to it, but um, the biggest thing is when you haven't driven for a long time. So we, we train a lot to, to be able to cope with the, like the G and because um, it's quite, it is very physical to drive. So when you drive a lot, you sort of just become race fit and you get used to it. But when you haven't driven for a while, it's really quite challenging. So these two months now where I'm home is some of the most important sort of points of the year where I have to really train a lot because when you when you get out of the car for a while, it gets really tough to, to basically get back in. Um, and if you're if you're not completely comfortable, like my seats in Japan, I recently drove wasn't completely comfortable, so you, you get quite a lot of marks, um, like bruises on your body and things like that. So in this two month period, where you've you know had a year out from it, um, a year a year I should say of racing, and you're, you're what's your kind of daily regime? At the moment, it's been pretty relaxed, but in the next sort of couple of weeks, it'll probably ramp back up again. So I have a trainer in in the UK who I spends probably five days a week with when I'm there. And then, um, so when I'm home, he'll basically send me through programs to do um, training-wise. Um, I do a lot of cycling as well. I'm trying to get hold of a bike while I'm here because I, I couldn't bring mine home. But that's where we sort of base the, I guess, cardio endurance-based training um, is, is on the bike. And the stuff we do in the gym is more strength endurance-based. Of course, you know, look, there's, um, there's, there's thousands of things that have to happen before you even get into the... The, the car right and while you're um, in it you've got a huge support team what's the team like in F2 how many people are there helping you out you know in the year in 2022 you know when you've been in F2 what, what's your support team like F2 is uh, it's, it's it's completely limited uh, in terms of the amount of crew members you're allowed right. on the car and right. compared to Formula 1 that's in the rules yeah exactly so compared to F1 um, that was one of the biggest things when I went and did the Formula One test was getting used to having three, four times the amount of people. In F2, we probably have uh, 20 to 30 people like as a, in the crew on a weekend, 20 people maybe. Um, and whereas in Formula One, it's like 50, uh, no, probably more than that, probably 100 people. Um, focused on that car. Yeah, focused on, on just two on the two cars and the team. Um, so yeah, when basically getting used to sitting in the car and just having all these people around you. Uh, the you know I have one engineer in F two who I talk to, whereas in Formula One there's like four engineers who stand next to the car, and then there's another team of them back in the uh, hospitality area behind you, and then at the same time there's another full crew of people back in Milton Keynes, uh, in the UK every race weekend who are basically live talking to the team all the time, looking at every single bit of information. So. Um, a lot more people involved. Do you, how much of that engineering stuff do you have to understand? 
a lot uh, and every year it gets more important especially when i went to, to formula one um to start testing but um you can or you sh yeah i mean you can always know more and i like am continuing to learn stuff about it because uh especially every car you drive gets more and more complex so there's always new things that you sort of learn uh, like when i went to japan um the the cars they are slightly more different, a lot more sensitive to sort of aerodynamics of the car and some stuff that I didn't really understand before that I'm still learning. So um, it is it is important because also the feedback that you give the engineers, they have all the data in front of them, but the most important part about setting up the car comes from the driver. So you have to like tell them exactly what you're feeling and they change like different things on the car and then you have to sort of feedback to the team at what you're feeling and what's good and what's not good uh, about it. Is it... um? Is it dangerous? I mean, it is dangerous, but you know, and, and every so often, thankfully not, you know, all, all the time. You know, people are badly injured, and or you know, on occasion, uh, die. I mean, do, do you think about that? And are you the sense of the danger that's involved? Uh, no, I, I don't. It, it is dangerous, obviously. Um, I've been lucky not to really have any really big sort of accidents. Spills um, or crashes, injuries? Yeah, touch wood. Um, but yeah, is this wood? <laughs> I think it's um, some kind of fibre. Yeah, well, some it, kind. Actually, yeah, yeah, basically I, I've, yeah, let me just quickly, thank you. There you go, you've touched um, some. Yeah, so I've been lucky not to have any big sort of accidents, but it is obviously just because of the speed, it's the, the impacts that sort of um, are the worst. So the cars are very, very safe. Like we're strapped in, our seats are completely molded to our body, so we don't move at all. It's just when you're doing 300 kilometers an hour, when you hit something at that speed, it's just the, the sort of, um, I guess, the, the impact that is what can sort of hurt you. You broken any bones? No, I've never broken anything. I've been really, really lucky. Even in a go-kart, I have a lot of friends that when they were go-karting growing up, they like flipped the go-karts. Um, never, I've never gone upside down in anything. So yeah, have been have been lucky, but um, you, you can't think, but to answer your question, you can't think about that. Because uh, you'd be paralyzed, Italy. I mean, you, mentally, you, yeah. you couldn't sort of cope with that. You, exactly, when you're doing that speed and you're sort of touching wheels with other cars and stuff like that, if there's, if there's any fear in you, you're gonna be the first guy who's gonna back out of that, so you have to be. Yeah, you, you can't think about it. And on the mental side of it, right, um, we sort of already touched on this, but one of the things I um, saw with you is, um, you know, I think it was when you were about to take Max Verstappen's um, uh, Formula One car for a spin, you, you'd said something along the lines of, you know, you were up the night before going through the manuals, right? I mean, so it's, uh, um, I, I suppose, you know, Probably people don't think this, but you could have a view of saying, "Oh, well, you know, yep, you you do your neck exercises, you get in this thing, you put your pedal to the metal, and you rock it, right?" But but it's a very there's study and preparation, and just give us a sense of that. It's that's really for for Formula One because the cars are the hybrids, so they have a battery system, and with that battery system, there's it's so so much more complex. There's so many switches that you that you sort of have right. to change. Um, there's performance switches, which when I say performance, I mean, as a driver, I can change to slightly change how the car's like driving, um, which is good. But then there's also not performance switches, but um, stuff that the engineer will call you to change. And that can be once, twice a lap that they'll tell you to change certain things. That'll help their side because they can't do it. It's to make it our lives harder. It's, it's basically, they want us to really operationally do everything that, um, that needs to be done and, and that they don't do it. So. And you don't really have that so much through the junior categories. Um, right. Like we change quite a lot in, in Formula Two and other cars will change 
like brake bias, um, which is the uh, like percentage of bias between the front and rear. So if you're like locking a lot of fronts, um, if you're braking and you're locking front wheels because we don't have ABS, then you'll go backwards on brake bias or vice versa. Whereas in Formula One, there's a, a lot more changes. So just trying to understand how to operate the car was probably the biggest challenge about it. Because in a, for example, in a qualifying lap in a Formula One car, so when we were doing, obviously I didn't qualify the car, but in the in the practice sessions that we did, we do simulations of things. So we'll do long runs, we'll do short runs, and we'll do qual qualifying simulations. And I'll do exactly what the, sort of the main drivers will do in a, in a qualifying session. And quite often we'll change five to six switches a lap, basically. So in your qualifying lap, when you're driving as fast as you can and you're trying to get everything out of it, you're also changing five or six different dials um, over the lap to, to give you sort of that maximum performance. What about in terms of, I mean, you're 20, um, you know, I can tell from you, you know, you fit as anything, I'm sure Thank you, you. you're mentally fit. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> don't look at me, all right? Don't say anything about that. Um, but, and, and, you know, you'll also, you know, um, mentally be strong. But in terms of kind of your mental preparation, even even at F2, I shouldn't say even, because it's very elite sport as well, um, you have psychological coaches, trainers, people preparing you kind of mentally. I know they sort of seem to at that F1 level. Is it, you, you had that sort of thing at F2? Yeah, so I've had a – since I first moved to Europe, actually, when I was 16, I've had a, a coach um, – who is more of a like a performance coach, an all-round performance coach, rather than a, a like a driver coach? Because especially at like Formula Two, Formula Three level, you, you shouldn't need a driver coach to teach you how to drive the car. So he's been with me since I was 16, uh, 17 years old, and basically uh, it, where I've got the most out of it has been the mental side of things. So he travels with me everywhere. Anytime anything happens, whether it's good or bad in the car, um, he's the first person I talk to. He's the person I tell absolutely Kiwi? everything. No, he's actually from the UK. He's, yep. he's British. Um, and, yeah, he's he's been a massive part of um, helping me basically get to How's to he point. helped you? What's it been, do you think, that's been there that you couldn't have done if it was just you as, you know, Liam, 16-year-old or even 20-year-old for that matter? I think even literally, literally as simple as losing losing my call and doing something stupid that he's sort of helped. Like like I said, he's, he's a person I talked about everything. So um, if something's, you know, going on uh, in, within the team or something like that that I'm really – frustrated whether I've had a really bad race or something like that um he he helped me a lot in uh, the first year I was with Red Bull it was a lot of pressure when you're the first year with Red Bull I every bet. driver it's the year that they haven't invested that much into you so it's not the end of the world for them if they don't like you. you to just ask you exactly yeah. so that first year is really high pressure and I remember struggling a lot with it I was in a team in Formula 3 that we it wasn't a competitive team we couldn't win races at the time and there were other Red Bull drivers in different teams that were fighting for race wins. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get dropped because I'm not performing at their level and stuff like this. And he was a massive part of helping me just focus on things that were in, within my control because I was worrying about stuff that I, there was nothing, I, you know, I couldn't do anything about it. So it was pointless worrying about it um, and sort of helped me get through that season at, at that point. So it's um, more, of, more of the mental stuff that's... He's been a, a big, big help with. I presume he helps you, you know, before a race, get in the zone. Yeah, warm up and stuff like that. Um, so it's quite funny because he's not a physio and a lot of drivers have their physios with them. Um, but we do our own sort of warm up and stuff like that and, and, and we make it work. But especially when, when you reach Formula One, in fact, most guys in Formula Two, to be fair, have like, I have a trainer who I train with, but he doesn't come with me to the races. So um, Enzo is my coach, sort of fills that role. 
Um, the only problem is if I get injured, I don't have that guy to, you know, give me – he's not he's not the expert on that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, you haven't had too many, so that's been lucky, good. exactly. Yeah, but I, and, and just final one on the mental thing. Like, uh, we were talking off here, you know, heroes and so on, and, and, and reality you actually now you're racing, or you may be, you know, um, before too long racing against some of these, um, uh, you know, global names – I feel like I would be intimidated um, up against the Lewis Hamiltons and the Max Verstappens and the, you know, uh, uh, Ricardos and the various others. Um, is that is that ever been a mental game for you? When I so when I was younger, yeah, these these Formula One drivers like Lewis Hamilton was somebody I really looked up to when I was a kid. Um, I read his book when I was when I was younger, um, and I, I used to obviously watch him in Formula One and stuff like that. So I liked. You know, I looked up to him a lot, um, but it got to a point where you, know, you get old enough and you start to realize that um, eventually, if you want to make Formula One, you're going to be racing against these guys. So you don't want to be looking up to them. They're not your heroes anymore. They're guys that you want to be racing against. So, yeah, probably a good few years ago, something that Enzo actually was a big my coach because um, I used to put people on pedestals. You know, a lot I'd see a driver and I'd be like, oh, you know, look who it is and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, they're just people. Um, like you or me, so uh, I sort of stopped doing that um, because, yeah, it's true, I would like to be obviously racing these guys um, and being on track with them. Well, they're all just people that eat and poo and sleep and all <laughs> yeah. of those things. Yeah. I, I want to just go back to the beginning. We'll come back to some of this, but, you know, um, you're born in Pukekohe. Oh, no, I shouldn't say Hastings. Uh, yeah, Hastings grew up yeah. in Pukekohe. Um, pretty normal Kiwi upbringing. Very, very normal. First three, four years of school, probably didn't wear shoes to school for right. that period. Um yeah, no, very normal. I started go-karting at seven years old, uh, six or seven years old, and um, up until I was probably 12. Uh, I went to high school in Pukekohe, but only for... So where are you karting when you're sort of seven, eight, nine? Yeah. Where? where? Oh, where? Uh, Mount Wellington. Right. Mount Wellington, Mount Wellington was... And then a bit at Rosebank, which I know yeah, a bit. Yeah. yeah. And then when it became very serious and sort of uh, we realised it was... Because my first... I don't, I don't know if you know this, but my first couple of years of go-karting, my first probably year of go-karting, um, was terrible. Like, uh, I mean, I was seven, eight years old, but I would finish stone dead last consistently every single weekend. Like I was, you know, as a kid, I'm telling my dad, you know, dad, the car sucks. Like the engine sucks. And it did. But as a seven year old, my, you know, my dad's going to be like, yeah, Liam, you know, I know, but he's in the back of his head thinking that his kid just sucks. <laughs> um, so it was more of a fun thing for, for a year. And eventually he gave in and, and, um, listened to me and he, he invested in these sort of two really good cadet motors for, for this class I was in. And I still remember putting them on for the first time at this at this big major event for the qualifying session. And, uh, you know, I'd been running at the very, very back of the field for, for a long time. And I remember looking at him and, some, you know, sort of looking at me and we kind of realised this was the moment where we sort of find out. Um, and I put the thing on pole and, and started the race sort of first. And from that moment, it became very serious. And that's when we started putting a lot more into karting. And I was lucky. So how old you then? You took eight, nine. Eight, probably eight, eight years old at that point. Yep. Eight, eight years old. Um, and would you say then you sort of thought, well, I'm, I'd like to be an F1? I bet it was since I was like uh, three, four years old. Um, I was. It was always cars. It wasn't just cars. It was anything with an engine, anything with wheels. You know, it's not like your family was big mo in motorsport or anything at any level. You, I, can I confirm? You know, you didn't come from big money or any of that. So there weren't these factors there that sometimes are in some of the the names we see. Um, was your dad, though, into motorsport? Weirdly, when I was born, sort of the years that I was born, he started to watch it. And that's why I started watching it um, because of him. But it, he wasn't, uh, no, no, nobody ever raced. Um, 
so none of my family, none of my like even other like you know relative family didn't didn't race. So I don't know where it sort of came from. But um, my one of my best friends, he's still one of my best friends now. His name's Matthew Payne. He's actually racing supercars next year in Australia. Yep. He he started um, at the sort of same time a couple of months before I started, and his dad raced. His dad raced car uh, raced cars. And that's how he got into it. And I went and watched him um, at six years old. And, and even though I liked cars and I liked racing and stuff like that, my dad didn't know what to do about it. You know, what to, I don't even think he, whether he knew about go-karting or not. So I went and watched my friend Matthew drive um, and realized that, you know, I, I have to do this. Um, so yeah, dad bought a go-kart. So you, you're telling me, you know, if you kind of think about sort of why you were so into this and, you know, say really young, you were kind of, you sort of saw this as a future. Matthew's part of it. Um, Matthew's part of it. Yeah, yeah he's he's, it. he's yeah he's to blame if you like, not to blame. Craig gets the credit, well, not that credit, but you know some credit yeah. for starting this. And then and then like I suppose what when you're telling me you know there at the very start you sort of sucked. Um, what what kept you going in it? I just I like it, it was more of a fun thing. So dad enjoyed. I know dad enjoyed going to the go kart track because you you talk a lot. I don't know if go karting is really still a lot like this now. It's very competitive. But um, when I started doing it, it was very fun as well. Like the dads would all talk to each other and get on and, and stuff like that. And us kids would basically all go to each other's trailer and hang out together. And um, so it was more of a fun thing to, to do. So I was always sticking with it, but obviously the competitive side of me was hating the fact that I was, I was running around at the back. And although I sucked, I did, you know, I, let's, I, so I didn't really suck. I just had, um, as bad as it sounds, I had, had terrible gear, but to the outside, it looked like I sucked. Um, so yeah, but it is funny because uh, your dad was learning with you though, right? I yeah, mean, and your the gear is the, the he's cool sort thing of working is, out what to do with it and how to get the motor going a bit better and this sort of that's stuff. That's exactly it because my dad technically has has, has no real idea. What did he on, do for a crust? What was he uh, like job wise? Yeah. So he still works. He's still doing the same thing now. He works in freight, so right. he should, you know, should freight around the world. Yep. Um, it's not like he was a motor mechanic. No, or anything, no, right? nothing. So when I started, you know, he's like, because uh, you have to a big part of go karting engine. You have to tune them a lot and and to get the best out of them. And and uh, and he would sort of have no idea, but be mucking around with it, trying different things. Um, and to be fair, he he learns everything really well. And the coolest part is, and something I can I can say is, I never had like loads of carts or kids have. Um, stuff break on them, you know, like normal and everything's mechanical, it breaks. Um, guys will have wheels fall off sometimes, stuff like that. I never had, I'd have a chain fall off every now and then when I'd hit a curb or something like that. That was down to, to I guess, me. But uh, mechanically, my, my car was always, my dad was really, really good at, he just put a lot of time and every time we come back from the, the track, a lot of people leave their carts in the trailer until they go out again. Dad, you know, would come back at midnight and he would take the cart out and strip it down and be out in the garage every How often is he sort of, um, is he there with you now? Or well, not really? Can not he really. manage to get there? No. So he came this year, he came to Monaco, right. um, which was which was really cool. Uh, but for a couple of years now, my parents haven't been able to see me race, yep. especially with COVID yep. stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, and I think to be fair, when I first got into sort of a high level team racing, where you you know it's no longer you and dad. The last year I had that was Formula Ford in New Zealand, where yep. it was me and my dad, and my friend, sort of running the car. After that, I go to Formula Four, and it's a team of people with engineers, and dad has to step back. And I think. Um, I know he definitely struggles with that a bit because my coach has got a group chat and even to this day now my coach is watching my race trying to watch what I'm doing and he's having to text my dad in this group chat and update him on everything dad's, that's going and on. Dad's got friendly advice. 
Yeah, always. Is it good? I mean, you you don't want to offend your dad here, but is it good advice? A lot of it's good advice, but sometimes he's uh, yeah, he he stresses he he stresses a lot about some things. How did you get? um, I mean, we're truncating this a bit, but you know, um, what was it that got you to the northern hemisphere in Europe? Was it just that you kept winning? I'm um, just trying. Were there defining moments? Was this a bit of a grind, and you sort of? It's crazy how it's happened. To be fair, um, because like you said before, I, I don't come from money, so my parents haven't really paid for my racing since I was in go karts. Really, um, so it hasn't been a big financial sacrifice to them. It ha- it was so go karting. Yep. In fact, the reason I left go karting, everything worked out really, really well to the point where the fact I left go karting when I was 12. But the only reason we left really was because it was getting too expensive. Trying to compete top level got got really difficult. Um, I was racing in Junior Rotax at this point, and they just released these new engines um, with this new spec, and it was yeah, it was crazy expensive. So my dad entered me into the Speed Sport scholarship for Formula First, and um, because it was a scholarship program to race a car for a season, and if I wanted to race in cars, that would where I'd have to be eventually. So I did that. I liked, and and luckily in New Zealand, you can drive something we have as an, as an advantage to other countries we can drive cars at 12 race mm. cars at 12 13 years old mm. so i was basically doing that um and that's that's sort of how it happened and then what got me to europe was a amazing group of supporters that have just been growing and growing uh, around me the last sort of five six years yeah um with sponsors and, and they've stumped up massively it's you know like i mean i'm not there's nothing in it for us to but it's like sort of the gill traps yeah. turners uh, Porter Group, yeah. um, but, but these these outfits have um, stumped up and believed in you and seen something. Exactly, it's it's something that obviously in New Zealand, it's um, motorsports very big here, and 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 uh, I think all of these guys, you know, a lot of these guys want to see a, a New Zealand driver make Formula One, and, and luckily um, they believe in me enough to to sort of um, I guess uh, invest in me and, and on that pathway and, and sort of help me make my dream. But uh, I think for them as well, it's it's very exciting for all of us to. Like this group of people that we have now is is uh, growing so much, um, and everyone's really excited about it, which is which is really cool. I come home every year and get to catch up with everybody, and and uh, I guess every year we sort of are getting closer and closer, which is cool. Yeah, amazing. How, how many you know over the last three four years you've been offshore a, a fair bit. How many months are you offshore? I'm just trying to get a sense of it. I know there's no such thing as a normal year in your game, but what what are we talking? You away eight months out of twelve, ten or? probably ten, right? Ten eleven months, I would say um, most most seasons. And I'm you know I'm interested. I sort of follow it at a level, but I don't wouldn't say I'm I'm a very much not an expert at any level as well. My sense from F4 to three to two to that holy grail of one, it's like it's it's you graduating these different levels and it gets harder every. Um, time. That's basically the picture we're talking about. Yeah, it, yeah. I guess the cars get faster. The competition is. To be fair, you sort of grow up. Like I've been race. A lot of the guys I race now, I was racing in Formula Four because yep. everyone's sort of progressing together. Um, and I'd say right now, what's the? I don't. I don't know. Having said all that, what's what's the car you've got in F four? What are you running in there? Uh, the, the like what the engine and stuff like that yeah, is. Yeah, how's so, it sort of compare? I'm trying so, to get a sense of how that compares with say an F2 or F1. Formula Four is the first wings and slicks car that you drive. A yep. fully slick tire with with a bit of aero, not much, but it, it's it's there's definitely downforce. If you lose a wing, you know you lose performance. It's what a lot of people are progressing from go karting. They step into Formula Four now, which personally I think is actually it's not the right step. I I, I did Formula First and Formula Ford, um, and for me they were a big part of teach me sort of right. car control learning how to drive on the limit stuff like that 
but yeah, it's the entry level that you jump into most likely from from a go kart. So, um, but still, the they are like if when I raced Formula Four in Australia, when we race on tracks like Surface Paradise, Gold Coast, really tight tracks, we're as quick as I think we're pretty much as quick as a supercar, um, and we have, you know, obviously a third of the horsepower probably. Yeah. Um, even even less. Yeah. Like uh, the cars are just very light and nimble and stuff like that. So, and then you go into Formula Three, which is the it's it's a really big step. It's the it's where you first drive with big downforce. First time I drove a Formula Three car, I was uh, yeah fifteen or sixteen and. Um, after three or four laps, my head was, you know, gone. Basically, on the headrest, I couldn't couldn't hold my head up. So, yeah. every driver has something that they struggle with personally a lot. Whether it's because we don't have power steering in most cars we drive. Formula One does, Formula Two doesn't. Um, a lot of a lot of guys struggle with the strength of the steering. A lot of guys struggle with neck strength. A lot of guys struggle with core something like that. For me, it's always a neck that goes first. So that's the thing that I have to really focus on um, quite a lot. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Today you're in, I mean, you tell me, but I would suggest right now that a part of the hottest team in the world signed with Red Bull and right now you're you're at if I got I might have the terminology right, right wrong but what junior driver reserve driver junior junior yeah so junior driver um which is what is basically putting me through like super formula formula 2 what I've been for the last couple of years but as well um a separate a separate I guess side to that or separate um a completely separate thing is the reserve side with formula 1 side where right. I'm a Red Bull racing reserve right, rather than a Red Bull athlete junior driver um if that right. makes sense so um, yeah, which is what basically had me alongside the Formula One team this year. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, how does that feel to be with Red Bull? I suppose I'm just trying to um, watching some of this and seeing sort of how it goes. I mean, it's a world away from some of these other teams, you know, in terms of the resourcing, and I know there's caps on that and all yep. that sort of stuff, but and the know-how. and So how do you feel about that? It's very cool. Um, I, I remember when I first got the contract for Reserve and – um, I guess you know technically it's my first Formula One contract and it was it was a, a very exciting thing. I was at the I was actually having my haircut at the time. I remember um, and like looking at the email and, and it was yeah um, really really exciting. But uh, at the same time I've now had you know done that role this year and it's really really exciting um, and and I you know I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to be working alongside the Formula One team and, and be learning. But it's also just as frustrating because you're you're watching every weekend, um, and I'm just you know desperate to be to be driving the car. So um, I see absolutely everything. Every driver's on boards. I listen to the radio communication. So you know I take in so much information, which is great because eventually when I I do step on a Formula One, if I am able to do that, I want to be as ready for that as possible. So yeah, you bet. This is all stuff that is really really helpful. And um, I, I presume the culture of something like that, that you know, Red Bull. Um, uh, team is um, it's both supportive but very competitive. 
So it's this quite sort of, I mean, how would you describe the culture of it? It's it's like every, uh, most Formula One teams have a junior program now, I would say. Alpine have a junior program. Mercedes technically have a, have a junior program. Ferrari have theirs. Um, so... And, and obviously Red Bull have theirs, and Red Bull is probably the, the most iconic one, I would say, from all the years. It's had the most amount of drivers through it and, and actually who have gone to Formula 1 as well. So it's the most direct, which is the reason that we we, um, we signed for them in the first place. But at the same time, it's a very cutthroat. It's, as we talked about before, that first year was very high pressure, but every year is uh, you're expected to to win all the time. And when you don't, um, it's it's not the nicest situation to be in. You know, you get, you're under a lot of pressure all the time. So dealing with that is, is is quite tough but as i said it's also the most direct program because it's completely performance based and for a guy yeah. like me who doesn't which is good right it's perfect you don't want anything else i, I couldn't have I, I couldn't have got to this point without them because we just didn't have financially the money so um yeah it's it's sort of if you're good enough you 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 get to go all the way what sort of support is there around you know someone who's on those programs though like yourself like um, I know it's a world away and everyone would much rather be um, a formula driver than a member of parliament but people think a member of parliament right which I was they think there's um, there'll be the support and people you know will tell you what you should be doing there's none of that right I mean, to get, what are the support systems they got they put quite a lot around you to make sure you're not getting pissed every night or you're not you know and you're, you're, you're sort of there on time and you you are turning up for your exercise regime and you are learning how to use the car properly and how much of that is there there's there's a lot there is a lot um you're also expected sort of things like like uh you know i guess um what you do in your own time and stuff like that is sort of expected of you to not be um, right taking the piss and, and being yep. stupid but um yeah there you sort of um we we have so I live in Milton Keynes in the UK, um, yep. which is where the Red Bull Racing Factory is. So uh, I live five minutes away from basically the Formula One factory, and we spend a lot of time there with doing simulator work, things like that, because all our testing is restricted. We can't just go out and test like you used to be able to. Otherwise, the teams would be spending double their budget at the moment. So yep. um, it's it's for, for cost reasons, but it means that simulator driving and stuff like that has become really, really important. And also developing the simulator, developing the car in the simulator. And that's what I do a lot of um, at the moment. Um, so yeah, that, that side of what we spend a lot of, obviously the training side we spoke about before. Um, and they sort of give us access to, they because ha they have experts in pretty much every single department, whether it's nutrition or, or physical training or anything like that, mental performance. So um, we have access to, to speak to basically anybody. Um, this year we spent a lot of time, even things like how to manage social media and things like that, because now you have to be so careful with what you do and say and things like that on, on social media because it can completely ruin your career. Totally. Um, so it's, it's uh, yeah, we've had things like that, presentations where we've learned exactly how to manage that, who to speak to about it and things like that. So yeah, we, I, we, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Um, you know Christian Horner, who's the boss of Red Bull. I know that in as much as I know that, you know, for example, he he was the one and, you know, said, come into my office and you, you're going to race in Max Verstappen's car, which would have been awesome. Um, I mean, someone like him who's the big boss of the, the team, um, how often would you see a guy like that? So well, the cool thing is with being reserved as well, because I'm there on every single weekend. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I, when you're hanging there with him. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm hanging out with him, but yep. you know, I'm, I'm in the I'm in, within the, in the team with him and stuff like that, and I have access to, to to go and see him and talk to him when 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 I'd like. Well, I guess when when needed. So, um, what's it take to be a boss like him? Of uh, 
you know a team like Red Bull. I yeah, I I couldn't uh, I couldn't imagine honestly. Um, <laughs> it would be yeah, with the amount of just the amount of people involved, the amount of people to manage and things like that. Um, and for for Christian as well, he's I, I saw the stats of the day. I think seventeen years now he's been the um, sort of team principal of, of Red Bull Racing, which is by far the longest of any team principal in any Formula One team. So yep. um, he's got what he wanted now. Yeah, whatever. So. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. What about Max Verstappen? I mean, did you, did you have much of a relationship with a guy like him? Who's you know top yeah. of the world. Yeah, at the he, moment? Was, he was very helpful to me actually before driving the car, and um, obviously, obviously, I was driving his car, so. Yeah, but he was he was very helpful, and he's always been uh, with sort a, of advice. Yeah, just advice. Even before I drove the car, just being on the weekends as reserve, he's he's an extremely nice guy. Um, really approachable, really friendly guy to to talk to. Um, obviously, in the car, and every driver, you know, outside of the, it's crazy how different you are outside to to inside the car. Mm. Um, it all changes when yeah, you're just like a switch. It's crazy. So um, yeah, you you can be completely friends. It's hard to have friends in motorsport because especially guys you're racing against because. You can be mates with them, but the second that you get in the car and something happens with them, you have to be able to get over it quickly. Uh, you know, I had like uh, quite close with with Yuri Vips. Um, we lived in the same building this year, and we had a crash. Who's we, he raced with? He raced with High Tech this yep. year, um, and we we had pl- uh, planned a trip to to LA earlier in the year, and uh, it had been like a month leading up to it. And the the very last weekend, three days before we flew, we crashed together in in Monza. And uh, and and he completely wiped me out. Like it was a, uh, um, you know, every driver's going to think it's the other person's fault, but the, you know, he he, he completely wiped me out. And uh, <laughs> but and it was, <laughs> it was his fault. This one was, you know, in the end he came to me and he apologized. But uh, you know, we had a massive argument about it afterwards. And then two hours later, you sort of mates again, and you're okay. And um, in the end, our holiday was okay. So. Well, that's that is good. Yeah. What about it like it? You know, the, your childhood hero over there, Lewis Hamilton. I'm just trying to get a sense. Do you, would you see someone obviously different teams and and massive rivalry between those teams? But I'm just trying to get a sense. You there in your position as reserve driver, do you get to know a guy like him at all? Uh, I would Lewis is uh, you don't see much of Lewis around the the, the sort Pretty of paddock. controlled. Yeah, but the crazy thing is now because of uh, especially like in the states and places. The thing with Drive to Survive Formula One is. Exploded, exploded, yeah, exploded. the last couple of years. So even for us in Formula Two, um, like uh, I've, I've, it's crazy. I've never. Well, had you got the, a cameo, cameo on Drive to Survive. I know with with Yuki and yeah, um, yeah it's uh, it's. I think I'll be in the next series as well with some of the F one stuff I did, which is quite cool. But it is crazy. I, I couldn't even imagine what it's like for some of those guys um, in F one, especially guys like Lewis. You know, he's one of the biggest faces uh, in in Formula One. So the second you leave anywhere that's exposed to, to fans and stuff like that, you just get completely surrounded. So it's, yeah, it's why you don't see sort of so much of, of those guys. Um, that drive to survive has been a remarkable phenomenon, right? I mean, my little boys, they can't get enough of it. I'm, I don't know when the next season's out, but we're waiting. We'll what be straight fans, on to what, it. What, what team are they um, Well, with you sitting here, it has to be sort of um, Red Bull. Is that true? Or is um, yeah, I mean, they like <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's quite like, it was a bit of fun, yeah. and um, I'm just trying to think back what they. But I think it was Red Bull, and I think, um, yeah, well, I think Ricardo's back with Red Bull now. So because my sense would be, you know, the, but you're not saying this. I'm not putting words into your mouth, so don't worry. But you know, my sense with, with Mercedes and Lewis, a little bit aloof. Actually, as the seasons have gone on, they've realised I think they need to spend a bit more focus on Drive to Survive because it is so big. But you know, you don't see so much of them. Yeah. So. What will be interesting, of course, is we haven't seen the season where 
Max Verstappen wins, um, and that'll uh, you know well wins decisively, I should say. Yeah. And so that'll be um, interesting to see Big how Red episode, Bull goes yeah. as the not the underdog but the the top dog, um, if you like. Is it as glamorous as in a sense that makes it look? Is it? Um, you know, wine, money, or Red Bull in I, your case, and vodkas, I, I, yeah, and parties, and celebrities, and beautiful people, and you can. So uh, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of drivers, or anybody, but a lot of, you know, a lot of drivers, you know, do you, you can take advantage of it quite e- easy, the lifestyle, and and you know, go out a lot and stuff like that. It's just something I I I've never really done. So, um, but it's uh, yeah, I don't know what it's like to be a Formula One driver. Um, mm. I've only done that for a day, so. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, it's difficult for me to say, but but I've got to, you've done it three times, technically three you've days. You've gone yes. the um, you've got yourself into. Do you, I've shown my. Is it called a cockpit? What do you get into when you get into a? We call it the office. The office. It's, right. uh, it's, it's a cockpit. Yeah, technically it's a cockpit. Yeah. Right, right. And um, F one free practice session. Yep. Run me through how that sort of works and how it was you that gets to do that. So you got to do that. Yeah, Formula One a couple of years ago made sort of a rule that you had to put a um i don't know technically if it's a junior driver or somebody who hasn't done two official races or something like that in formula one um and it's basically to because it's formula so hard to get into it's not like other sports i'd say where you get young guys consistently coming in formula one teams because of how much money's involved and you you know even as simple as being able to say the right thing in the press and things like that it's being the right face for the team are more likely it seems to take an experienced driver over a, over a young driver quite often. Right. So you have to be fully proven to to, to get that opportunity, which yep. is why it's so hard. So they've made it more accessible for juniors to have these opportunities. So two two sessions, two free practice sessions each team a year has to allocate to a to a driver who hasn't gotcha. done. I think it's two official races. So that's how I was put in that position this year, um, and fortunate enough to do it with both AlphaTauri and Red Bull. Your your um. In 2023, a um, uh, in addition to being, I've got this right. In addition to being a reserve driver for um, Red Bull, which means I presume that you you have to rock around wherever they go. Is that sort of how it works? If they're in um, Monaco, yep. you're in Monaco. Yep. If they're in Abu Dhabi, you go to Abu Dhabi. And and is it like being a reserve in the All Blacks or something? You're sitting there waiting. Yeah, you are. You are. It's, it's obviously very unlikely that you get that opportunity, but you are there just in case it does happen. So, um, and I think a couple of guys this year had that. Obviously, Nick DeFries, who in, in the end it, it completely um, sort of has, has launched him into Formula One because Amazing. of it. He got that one opportunity and made the yep. most of it. So, um, you have to be there um, for, for that opportunity if it does come. So, you're doing that. And then you're also in the 2023 Super Formula Championship in Japan. Yep. I mean, brief, what's that one all about? That is a clear i mean it was for pierre gasly it's a stepping stone to f1 yeah it's it's hard because a lot of people don't know about super formula um because it's it's basically a, you know in, in japan it's like formula one it's uh it's it's a really big series a very very high level as well and most guys who go there for the first time do sort of do sort of struggle um so because it's very very different you're racing guys who race at these tracks five tracks and they race at them every single year for seven eight years now so um, it's a it's a tough championship to go into. The cars also really really quick, and it's different different. I'm I'm driven on Pirelli tires now for five years, four years. I'm going to drive on uh, a completely different tire next year. So, yeah, it's a lot to adjust to. Yeah, I bet. Um, you've said being an F1 is definitely where I want to be, but a lot still needs to happen. As close as we are, it's still a few steps away. What what still needs to happen? 
just keep performing, keep basically, uh, as I said, I think there was potentially an opportunity this year with the seat in Alfatori opening up, but I just, this, the Formula 2 season wasn't uh, going as it, as it needed to go. So, Because um, am I right, you came third? In the end, yeah, I finished strongly. I, I came into the last week in like seventh and uh, we somehow came out third. And I've got this right as well, the Dutch driver, you've mentioned Nick DeVries, he came first? Yeah, he did. And so a few years back, a few, a few years back. Oh, did. is that right? This is like, yeah, no, this is But I mean, is, is it fair to say on performance, that's why he got an F1 slot and you you did it? I'm spinning hard here. You t- you get back if I'm wrong. He also did a, a couple more years in Formula 2. Right. Um, and he's also, you know, he's 27 years old now. So think, what you're suggesting, old. some of it's a bit intangible, right? Is They make a judgment. He got the call. I'm always, yeah, I'm always going to think that you know I deserve the seat more, but it, it, you know I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, be biased and say and say that they should have put me in the car this year because at the time Formula Two was, at, you know, I was running seventh or eighth in the championship. It wasn't going as it needed to have gone. It did finish strongly, but it finished, and I had great F1 sessions. But after those decisions had been made, sort of things. So how well, how well do you need to do in the Super Formula to kind of secure that slot the in best. F1? Best, best, obviously, best case. You need to to be winning it. So, um, and and that sort of is going to be the best. Gives me the best opportunity possible. But at the same time, it's when I when I get these F one opportunities as well to perform in in those sessions because it's Formula One is so different, especially to Formula Two, that um, you get these hour long slots when you do these free practice sessions. It's the only time you get to show the team what you're like in a Formula One car. So it's really, really, really important. Is not getting to Formula One an option for you? It's not an option. No, it's yeah. I I don't really know like I've never considered anything else um, even in, in motorsports like uh, initially when I was younger it was what's your backup plan in terms of career wise um, other than racing what are you going to do because I left school I was 15 so I have I don't have NCA level 1 even um, so it was always what's your backup plan you know you're risking everything but um, if you're thinking about anything else like if you're what's not the 100% on then you're, you're never going to you're never going to go as far so no. What's the typical age to enter F1 as a newbie? You have Probably a sense of that? If you, if you 20, get there, 22, I would say, 22, 23 years old, 20, 21, 22, 23, something like that. So you're in the zone. Yeah, I, luckily, and that's why I said before about New Zealand, um, I'm 20, but I'm really experienced for a 20-year-old in terms of car driving. I've done uh, a season of, in terms of just cars, not excluding carts, I've done Formula First, Formula Fords, Formula Four twice. Uh, then I've done Formula Three. I did two seasons of Formula Three in one season. Then I did another season of Formula Three. Then I did Formula Two with DTM, and then I did another season of Formula Two. And now I'm going to do Super Formula. So I've done uh, like a ten or eleven, maybe twelve seasons by the end of this year, next year of of car racing, where a lot of guys go into Formula Four at sixteen, for example, seventeen, um, seventeen years old, and they've only done maybe. Five seasons of car racing at that at that point. Gotcha. I mean, your answer around Nick DeVries sort of told me something though, right? There, there are fine margins in who gets the call up, right? Um, if there's two, five guys who are performing at incredibly high level and they have to make a judgment call, they're making them on sometimes, um, you, you know, um, non-performance related things, right? I, I suppose what I'm interested in is you're a Kiwi, from the bottom of the world, I hear what you say about our motorsport pedigree, right? You're absolutely right. We could run through the, the names, but you know, it's um, it's a long way. Um, 
you, you haven't got $150 million behind you. Yep. Um, there's politics there's at politics, a level that comes yeah. into these things. Does that worry you? It doesn't worry me. It's something that I just have to sort of, and I have just had to accept sort of for quite a, quite a few years now. It's it's just the way um, when there's when the sport has this much money involved, there is politics in, in motorsport and especially in Formula One. So it's it's it is what it is. Um, it's another thing, I guess, that sort of for a few years now, it's not worth just thinking about or worrying about because there's literally nothing I can do about it. So. Um, to, to answer your question, uh, you know about Nick. He, he had an opportunity this year in Monza to drive for Williams when Alex had to um, he had to go and have surgery. So he drove the Williams car for the weekends, and mm. it was his first weekend in Formula One, and he absolutely nailed it. And I can think, I guess that you know he had the opportunity, he took it, and he nailed it, and that's what's put him in F one. So it's when you get these opportunities, making sure that you um, you absolutely smash it. You bet, and I wish you all the best. I want to ask you quick, just a handful of quick fire questions. Your favourite Kiwi racetrack and why? Favourite Kiwi racetrack is actually my favourite circuit in the entire world. Right. Um, well, you've answered my next question as well then. It's Highlands uh, in the South right. Islands. Yeah, fantastic. I absolutely love that track. So um, I've been around it in uh, someone else driving, and I think in the, the the electric Porsche. I forget what it is. Electric Porsche. Yeah. Was this recently? Yeah. What is was it? Was it taken? Yeah, taken. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah. Very good. Very. You know, they push push the button and whoom. It's well, uh, it doesn't go whoom because it doesn't make any sound, right? But makes yeah. a it's sort of, yeah electric car. So no, it is um, it is extremely quick. So, but do you like the circuit? Yeah, you bet. And. Yeah. Um, you, you'll know him well, uh, yeah, Quinn. Um, Tony. Tony Quinn. I mean, um, sort of an Aussie, is he? Aussie Kiwi. He's done an amazing sort of thing for um, Incredible, Kiwi yeah. Motorsport. With, with Not just for Kiwi things. Motorsport, but for me. He's, amazing. He's been a massive part of, especially this year, uh, making this year happen for me. So um, without him, it wouldn't have been possible. But yeah, like you say, for what he's doing for New Zealand Motorsport. And an amazing car collection he's got there, actually. Uh, the yeah, yeah, recommendation the to go yeah. to yeah. Highlands. Well, that is interesting. So, And sorry, you, so you like it because the track is just... New Zealand tracks in general are very exciting to drive. Um, they are a lot like a lot of American tracks that IndyCar race on, uh, you know, sort of if you make a mistake and you go wide, you, you don't just take a five-second time penalty for track limits. You know, you, you, you're off in the grass, you're in the gravel, you're in the wall. It's It gives a certain level of um, excitement to drive. So I, I like I like that. And Highlands is one of the most exciting. You know, you have a, a big straight into a, a, a really high-speed chicane, which is followed by a massive, um, it's more than 180 degrees, a loop with just a concrete wall right around the edge of it. So if you make a mistake, you're just in, in a concrete wall. And then it has a, a, a tunnel sort of underneath the top of the circuit with big cambered corners. Uh, it has a, a bridge where you literally take air. You know, the car goes four wheels off the ground. Um, I took the uh, Roden FZ car. So Roden's been a massive part of also my, my career in the last couple of years. And I took the Formula 1 car, um, the FZ Formula 1 car around Highlands. And that was one of the scariest, but also one of the most exciting things I've ever done in a race car around that circuit. So... And the facilities as well, like you said, the museum, yeah, just the sense. place. You've seen the toilets that Tony's yeah, put in now. Yeah, fantastic. A lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> really place. cool place, yeah. Uh, highlight of your career so far? Um, yeah, the the Max, the, the, uh, sorry, the um, free, free practice session with, with Red Bull and yeah. Abu Dhabi. Low light. Has there been one, actually? Uh, like lowest, you mean like lowest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's, um, I, I, I think about the lowest point. Um I would say, uh, oh, DTM. Yeah, D DTM finale we had, um, yeah, fighting for the championship last year, all the way through the year, and we, we led into the last weekends. I got basically um, completely smashed out. Um, 
in a in a really ridiculous way. Basically, in the last race, we put the car on pole. We literally did everything right, um, and I built I built an amazing relationship with with Ferrari and with um, Red Bull. In this weird Ferrari Red Bull put together season, um, where we we all worked together, and then uh, yeah, it got completely shattered in the last race. So that was a sorry, very to, tough one sorry to hear that. That's right. What qualities make the best racing car driver? Uh, a, a balance between bravery and precision. I, I don't know something like that. It's it's yeah, it's hard to 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 say. You can be brave, but it's also can be stupid. So. Um, yeah, it's getting that right. Yeah, the balance and and either side slightly, and you've got it wrong. Yeah, um, do, have you got those qualities? Uh, I'd like to think so. Um, yeah, it's it's hard for me to say personally, but yeah, the best racing car driver in the world today. Um, <laughs> the problem with that question is to be at this to be at to be at uh, at, at Formula One level, every driver believes they're the best. So, um, and you can't be at, at this level if you don't believe you're the best. So, I'm not going to out there and say it. But yeah. Personally, everybody believes they're the best. I love it. What about best ever then? Best ever. Um, you know, you follow this and you're young. What do you sort of say? If you said that that person is the one I look to and say, man, they were in their day and at their time the best. If I go, if I, ex- you know, exclude the last five years, let's say. Before I was a racing, you know, before the, at this sort of time, um, uh, from what I've seen, uh, Senna was pretty incredible. Um, yeah, it's in Senna, yeah. So I, I watched his, I mean, I've watched his movie so many that times. That movie's amazing. Yeah, I would say that I would love, I would have loved to have seen that in, in person, that sort of era um, that, that he was in. I think that he's probably, him alongside uh, Schumacher, Michael. Yeah, amazing. Um, how much is and this justifies a long answer but we're not we've got time how much is the team in the car versus versus the driver because i suppose what watching drive to survive suggests to me is you know what is the team in the car and you can be the best driver but you're sitting there and Hass, you've got no show. It's a bit harsh on poor old Hass. And what is it, Gunter or whatever his it's name? Is. Good he yeah. seems like a good bastard. But anyway, <laughs> what's your? Yeah, it, it's it's uh it's not like you know even other motorsports. Let's say like sports like um. There's always an element of of how good the equipment you're at is obviously. So you know you look at uh, motocross or MotoGP or or um, other series like that where. It's it's say more down to the to the athlete or the rider or the driver or something like that. But um, yeah, in, in Formula One and Formula Two and all these categories, it's um, it's very much down to the team uh, as as well and how well you work with your team. Obviously, it's really important. Um, the relationship you have with your with your race engineer, the guy that you talk to at basically during the session when you're in the car, when you're out of the car, it's really important. And the relationship you guys have, if it's not completely strong or it's not really connected it can make a massive massive difference so um yeah it's it's i would say as much down to the yeah the the team the equipment stuff like that as as the driver do you drive much on normal roads these days and is it a struggle to treat them or not treat them like a racing track (laughs) no it's not a struggle uh it's funny because most people would get in the car with me and they're always like don't forget, Liam's not a racetrack and stuff like that, and it's really frustrating because uh, it's it's a comp- how patronising of them. I know, I know. It's it's like uh, it feels unfair, but I get it. But like my my dad, for example, um, I went round with him. Literally, it's just funny. I went round with him yesterday, and it was wet, and I was uh, I have quite a, a cool car I'm driving around at the moment. It's a Golf R, 
which is one of my favorite cars. And he, uh, I was showing him around. Beat up golfer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the Mark Eight one, the new one, and. Um, and it was wet and we're driving around sort of the back streets of Pukekohe and I wasn't going, you know, I wasn't driving it like a racetrack, but he's he's freaking out in the passenger seat. And he's like, you know, I'll leave him the slick patch, you know, you can't hit that, you know, watch watch for that. And this is the part. And I said to him, what do you think I do when you're not here? Do you think that I'm just in trouble, at, you know, 100% of the time? Um, so, yeah. And for my dad not to trust me kind of sucks, but um, <laughs> I think it's, it's quite funny. But I, it's not hard not to... It's not like a, everything I see is, is a racetrack. No. Um, it's it's a completely different thing. You're not that monodimensional. No, I'm sure that's true. I uh, I wish you all the best. I'd love nothing more as a patriotic Kiwi as see you um, not only in F1 but um, at podiums. So, you know, we'll be watching with real Thank interest. You. It's I time to um, wrap up with the questions I ask everyone. We call it general knowledge. And I know you've been stressing out about these because we gave you about two minutes preparation. Well, you, did. you, you can be honest. It. You can be honest. You gave them to me yesterday, and I, I read them, but I completely forgot to actually <laughs> think about them. So this is on me. Um, yeah. What's the best night out you've ever had? Um, I raced in um, I raced in Macau a couple of years ago. Basically, I was uh, I can't remember how old I was, like seventeen or eighteen years old. Um, and they, everybody, there's like this basic club, this place that everybody, it's huge and everybody goes to it, um, all the drivers, all the teams, stuff like that. And um, it was one of the first times I'd really gone out. It's still really one of the only times I've ever gone out. And um, yeah, it was a pretty cool place. So uh, it was just a, a place in Macau was probably the best one. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I have absolutely no idea. Well, it's not going to be like it. You're not going to be a meerkat or something. No, I mean, it's going to be. Meerkats don't win Formula One. I was one. trying to think what's a fast animal, like a, I don't know, like a cheetah or something cheetah. like that. But I don't know. I I uh, I think it'd be pretty cool to be something in the ocean, like to swim around like they do. And uh, it sounds pretty stupid, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, what animal is in the ocean? The like a shark or something like We're that. We're going shark. I reckon I'd go shark. Not not Fast, a great white shark. Sleek shark. Yeah, like a um, that's good at turning. Mako shark, right? That that pretty fast. And if you're not lucky, it'll turn up and better at a yeah, at that's a fish true. and chip shop when they tell you. I don't want to be a stupid shark then that that you know takes <laughs> that bites lures and stuff like that. Hey, let's let's be a smart one, yeah. Excellent. Who would you most like to be trapped in a lift with? Um. It's a really tricky question. Um, you really didn't give this any thought beforehand, did you? No, I didn't. Let's uh, just because my girlfriend's sitting here. Let's say my my girlfriend. I'd, I'd most likely want to be stuck in a lift with. Um, That's very romantic, and I hope it gets you brownie points that last you for a very long. I hope so too. <laughs> a very long time. Liam Lawson, soon to be Formula One driver. We hope and believe. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Generally Famous. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. If you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. I'd love to hear from you. Send your feedback to generallyfamous at stuff.co.nz. Thanks to my producers, Chris Reed and Jen Black. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.
I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. I don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, tagline there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.